Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the right time. Away Sports and Entertainment original presented by Prize Picks. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe, like, rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars, I'm inclined to believe. You are a hater. It is that time of week where we have a guest join us, the greatest college football writer in America. Check him out at Channel 6 and many other places. Spencer Hall, what's going on? Oh, I got you. Listen, I got you. It's Wednesday. We're going to talk about nothing. We're going to talk about a hot nothing for as long as you like. That's what that's what I'm here for. I'm here to talk about how I thought you performed a national public service by properly calibrating Usher. Never really Thank was you. able to explain to anybody how I felt about Usher as someone from Atlanta. Um, other than saying I thought he was kind of an annoying musical theater kid with talent from North Fulton High School uh, and North Atlanta High School. And it turns out um, you had the proper calibration, which is a uh, fundamentally unserious artist who put on a great show. I think that's that's exactly it. Yo, it was a great show. And you pointed out two interesting things. And I talked about it a little bit when we talked about Usher uh, coming off the show. But there's no way. All right. So when I got to Atlanta for college in the year 1997, somebody was asking, what is the song? Right. Like, what's what's the hot, what, what's the hot song on the radio down here? And I just remember the girl being like. It goes, who you with, get crunk, who you with? Mm -hmm. And we were like, what? Who you with, get crunk, who you with? Like, like what? what like, that, that, that's how the song goes. Who you with, get crunk, who you with? Like, that's all you had. And then you heard it and you're like. Okay, I kind of see it. And then by time number three, now you out there looking like the locals. Who you with, right? Like you doing all the stuff mm -hmm. that they doing, right? And it was by yeah. a gentleman, Lil John, with these East Side boys, and I don't know what in the world they did. There was no way you ever could have. Look, in, 90, in 097, you couldn't convince me that he was going to be somebody in 01. In 01, you couldn't convince me he was going to be somebody in 03. In 2024, mm -hmm. he out there at Super Bowl, and when he wears all his rich people clothes, I know he bought them himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, Lil, I'm gonna take you behind the scenes here. Uh, Lil John was destined for greatness because his whole family is full of brilliant people. You should know this. Like his brother is like a high muckety buck uh, doctor at a hospital in Midtown Atlanta, who plays saxophone in a soft jazz band in his spare time. <laughs> I don't know this because I read it. I know this because I know someone who knows him. That's that's how local this is. That's proprietary knowledge I got myself. Um, I know this too because I believe one of his parents is a rocket scientist. Is that, is that correct? Like literal rocket scientist? Yeah. I think he's an aerospace so, engineer. Yeah. Yeah. Aerospace engineer. So someone, someone, he had no choice but to be great. Additionally, I can tell you this. Lil John has milked the bit harder and better and for longer than anyone in the history of entertainment anyone and this is because if you put little john on a stage everyone's always happy to see him it doesn't matter the environment <laughs> usher proved this usher put that man on a ballad on a ballad i he do did. not think when i think of the physical act of love and the emotions that come with it little john's voice is not what i associate with it okay d'angelo yes prince yes okay personally jill scott yes but I do not think of Lil John, and yet it worked because lovers and friends, you put it on and people are like, oh, I'm so happy to hear this. So happy to see this guy. I've been with you for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> just just like the most uh, scaring the ladies track on the world, and yet yes. you made it work. 
and then clearly let him write it himself. Because I just refuse to believe that anybody got paid extra money to write that down. No, no, I'm convinced that was straight off the dome. And that Lil John did it was like, that's going to sell a million. That track's going to be heat. <laughs> he was right. Did you see when Lil John did the verses? And I can't remember who his verses was against, but it was like, oh my God, he just keeps pulling out heat. Like I did mm -hmm. not quite recognize how much heat there was and heat that was left on the table. You know, both Lil John and Ludacris are those guys who have, uh, like they're so deep in the catalog that they have tracks from like the Shrek 3 soundtrack that bang. Like they have some of these like late 90s, early 2000s. I did it for the cash tracks that you still listen to and go, no, 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 that goes. And they will never get enough respect. Why? Because they like to have a little fun. They're fundamentally unserious, right? Ne neither, neither Little John, Little John has songs like that, but neither Little John nor Ludacris at any point prioritized, I am a dangerous person who doesn't like people and commits crimes, right? Like they were about the party first. And then maybe there was a hint of that afterwards. And I think that's one of the reasons that initially it was like, I mean, I like that guy, but uh, I don't really want to tell anybody. I do turn it up when Ludacris is on a verse, but, uh, but you know, I'm not going to tell the cool kids that. Nah, like in Atlanta, it took the evolution with Ludacris because he was the dude on the radio. And like, it, like, this is the guy that's doing drops on the radio. Then it's like, oh, he has his own song and it's a Timberland song. Oh, okay. How does this go? And it was like gradual step by step. And I feel like for Ludacris, it was a big deal when he got his songs on the other radio station, right? Because he was a DJ on one of the radio stations. That would be an impediment to getting your jams on the other radio station. And then it went and it went. And my man, Wally Sparks, always makes his point. Ludacris low-key has the perfect rap career. There is nothing that you could expect of a rapper's career that has a box that Ludacris has not checked. He has checked every single one, including winning a high-profile beef against one of his peers in rarefied air of his time. He did that. No, he did that, and I'd also put it this way. What other rapper could just walk onto the set of like a major television show as a judge, and nobody blinks? Nobody blinks. You know why? Right. Again, everyone's thrilled to see him. Everyone's thrilled to see him. It's the superpower that both he and Lil John have. If you are at a family function and somebody goes, "Can I bring a friend?" And they go, "Well, who?" You go, "I see. I mean, you know him as Little John." You're gonna be thrilled. You're gonna be like, "I don't care who's there. I'm gonna take him. Doesn't matter if it's me. Doesn't matter if it's you. Doesn't matter if it's a Chinese family of 27 who lives in Szechuan. They're gonna be thrilled. They'll be like, "Oh my God, Little John's coming to the party." so happy about that does little john understand that he is like angus young like does he realize that what he is bringing is acdc for that side of the tracks i hope so it, it like he has to because that was the thing and the in the, the halftime show where did he pop up they're like oh little john has to pop up in the crowd being thrown up and down and what's he going to be doing he's going to be yelling <laughs> turn down for what right tennessee the university of tennessee brought him in and did a special fourth down like turn down for what and everyone loved it. It was great. They're fine with it. Why? Because it's Little John and he knows he is always bringing the hype. He's not there for subtlety. We don't have Little John's goth phase anywhere on record. He's not going to be taking a bunch of pills and doing downtone trap beats. That's not, none of that's happening. Little John, like the turn down for what track is interesting to me because they just basically were like, we need you to be this hype and say this thing and do very little else on this track. And he's like, perfect. I can do that. Yes, yes. But give me, but give me half, right? Like I'm sure there was a but give me half discussion that mm -hmm. that that took place. Here, Lil John is somehow 
the most non-threatening figure that rap has produced that allows him to be the person that you describe and everybody's so happy to see him while at the same time his music presented a great threat to safety at its peak in its prime when the little John tracks came on the problem was and for you youngsters who don't understand this your dad used to go to the club and not me because I ain't none of your daddies but your dad used to go to the club and when your dad's favorite song would come on at the club, your dad would pretend to get into a fight, maybe with a friend, quite possibly with a stranger. But everybody pretended like they was getting into a fight. That was that was kind of what we did. And Lil John made fight music like it was it was all the songs to where you'd be on the stage at the club and put your hood on, put your hood up, drops at midnight. And now the stage is shaking because everybody is mimicking fighting and what were we thinking <laughs> this is, well, I'm afraid. so um i, I know both sometimes we, we we will talk bad about the kids but you know what the kids aren't stupid enough to do and that's something that multiple generations of their predecessors did work themselves into a shoot that's it they weren't stupid enough to go hey why don't we pretend to fight on this song and then when we do that <laughs> no one else will surely start a real fight no one that was an assumption <laughs> that the ancestors made that the kids these days don't make. And I salute them for it because they're smarter than we were. Because inevitably, when you release a song, I don't know, we'll cite a different group here randomly, uh, that called Tear the Club Up. Do you know yes. what someone's going to do? They are going <laughs> to follow directions and tear the club up. That's going to happen. And then the promoter's going to have a problem with you. Which really happened to the yes. Six Mafia. If you booked them, it was like, I need you to not play that song. Don't play that song. Why? Yes. Because people will do it. <laughs> the, the, the line, let's start a ride in the club. But let's not. Let's not. My, my, my brother said that he would hit him with, how about you play uh, a special remix for my club called Tear Your Own Shit Up. How, yeah. would you like to, how would you like to play that song? That's the song that I think you might want to get down with. So like, I'm I'm not pivoting. I just do want to mention this. So um, there was a certain event this past weekend that America's entire fascination was focused on, and that's the Waste Management Open, which if you don't know, yes. that's where an entire bunch of people who uh, <clears throat> look a lot like me show up in Phoenix and they go to a golf tournament. And they say and turn they down act, for what? They sing turn down for what? And they act bad. They act seriously bad <laughs> because a lot of them fully don't believe they can be arrested. Like, they just don't think that that's a part of the state apparatus that could touch them. Um, and that's an example of the Waste Management Open literally every year says, turn down for what? And says, tear the club up. And at one point, people are going to follow suit and they go, I am going to follow directions, right? We're here for a bad time. Well, we're going to give them a bad time. I'll do that. And I like, I talked with, I talked to someone yesterday about this who was, you know, in golf and they're like, I mean, what would you do? And I'm like, um, you're going to have to start arresting more of them. That's how this works. Yes. Because they're following directions. So we got two thoughts on this. One, I was hanging out with Sheed a little bit during Super Bowl week. And he told me that he and our mutual friend, the homie Tyler, I am. They got the podcast together. Be sure to go check that out. But they were going to Phoenix. And I was like, for the waste management? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, er, this Bold. is uh, this yeah, I'm, I'm sheet at the waste management open is a lot to consider. But the other problem that the waste management open got was it's something I noticed over the years with the Cameron crazies at Duke 
And so it's one thing when you have this kind of organic dork culture that spawns this thing, but it's another thing when that becomes part of the attraction. And so now people cannot simply organically be part of that. They want to be a part of it, which means they're going to do too much, which means next thing you know is somebody dressed like Ronald McDonald. And that really doesn't have anything to do with anything that we're talking about or whatever. But that's what happens. Like, it's one thing when it's like, yo, people get here and they act rowdy. It's another thing when it's like, yo, this is the place to go get rowdy. Because then the people who want to get rowdy specifically come there for the purpose of getting rowdy. And it's a bunch of white dudes with paper. They get extra rowdy. Uh, because they don't think they can get cuffed. And if they get cuffed, they go, yes. I don't know. It's a good story. I can lawyer up. It'll be fine. We could plead to a misdemeanor. I'll just have to apologize to the wife. Like that's, those are those guys. <laughs> they don't think they could get touched. So they just go out there and and you're right. These aren't golf fans who got rowdy. They're rowdy people who found a golf channel. That's it. They're rowdy people looking to get rowdy and go have that time. Like the Cameron thing, Cameron crazies. If it's organic, that's fine. I always love fan groups like that. I always think that's a fantastic time. I think you need a space and a time and a society for people to behave out of sorts badly or in a chaotic fashion. It's when people start uh, only valuing that and not the event that it's based on. And here's another little side truth about this. We don't see this a lot at football games because there is tight security, but also because people are paying attention to the game. Golf, golf ain't lively or active enough to keep the rowdy and violent engaged with the violence. There's no, there's nothing, nobody's getting hit out there. So I got to hit someone over here because I'm here to have a mayhem type time. And there's not enough of that in front of me. It's a great point. It's a great point. I had another observation about a little John I want to throw out there. I was thinking about this uh, the other day. I don't want to go to all the levels at which me and my mans were talking about this, but like, so as a child of the 90s and a child of rap of the 90s and specifically a dude from Houston, you can't understand really what had happened with us. And I don't know how it goes now with the youngsters, but the old heads basically told us that singing and dancing is for suckers. That's basically what they told us from top to bottom, right? Like, like the old heads that was singing, they was okay for whatever reason. But these cats that's out here singing right now, they some suckers. I was talking about this on Monday. I don't know where all these dudes that now talk about how much they love Usher from back in the day. I don't know where y'all was at, right? Like that, y'all must have been listening to that, uh, listening to that Usher when y'all was breaking out that lotion because you wasn't telling nobody about that neither. Like we know you did it, but nobody said anything. Maybe that was when y'all. I was listening to Usher. I have no idea. But you have to realize how far it had gotten in the dancing is for suckers where whole realms of music were made and dudes were there and enjoyed the music and clearly wanted to move to the music. But the only way that it was appropriate to move to said music was in the name of gesticulating violence. That was the only way that it was appropriate for, show, for you to show that you had appreciation for the music. Think about this. Think about this, okay? Normally, the privileged class hates it when they are left out of something, when something is made and it is specifically not for them. I think that's part of some of the Taylor Swift backlash and she is making music that's just not at all for these dudes. I always thought that was part of it with the Kardashians. They were making content that was just specifically not for dudes. They just wasn't here for it, okay? There's one time that something has been made not for the privileged class that everybody was okay with, and that was booty shape. They made music that was specifically not for dudes. Not for you to do this. 
Not at all. This is not, maybe you listen to it in the car because it make your speakers knock. But in the end, you are. this is not for you. This is for them. And they were like, ooh, something for us. And they jumped on and they got down at every turn. But we had clearly said dancing is for them. It's for suckers and it is for them. That is what it's for. That is the era that we came up with, came up in. And it's great because so many stars of that era had to hide their roots. So many people had to disavow their bona fides when it came to where they got into music in the first place. Because I hate to tell y'all, if you got somebody who is super tough in any genre, any genre, I mean, it, it could be it could be country, rap, rock, metal, uh, pop, whatever. They came up through a high school theater program. And I regret to inform you, that person who may look like the hardest dude on the planet, right? Who is either rapping or screaming at you from the stage. They probably did Bye Bye Birdie. Nobody gets around doing the high school musical. Nobody. All of them did high school musicals. Tupac. Tupac was a performing arts kid who later had a tragic flirtation with being a gangster. That is, go look at the early work of one Dr. Dre. Go look at the band he was in before N.W.A. Okay? Yes. Go go yes. look. It's different than you think. So everybody's got to disavow that. So it's hilarious to me that, yes, as part of the generation we were part of, uh, that there was this like, no, 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 you can't dance or sing. Well, what about those guys in the 60s who were wearing spangled suits and doing coordinated steps in a quartet? And you're like, well, that's fine. That's totally fine and understandable. But the rest of it, no, it stopped there. Did Aaron Neville stay in school long enough to do streetcar? I don't know. He was out driving trucks. He might be. He might be different. You know. <laughs> but that's another thing. Is if you listen to like classic guys, they're all they're all doing American Songbook stuff, right? They're all doing like, oh, I'd really like to do Skylark. I'd really like to do Fly Me to the Moon. Like they all know stuff that your great grandparents were jamming to, and then have to go. Well, I mean, I know it, but you know, it's a great song, but uh, I'm not going to do it on stage. They could bust it out there, and you know what? They want to. A lot of them want to. I guarantee you there are entire generations of people who have to disavow and fight the fact that they want to sing the Les Miserables soundtrack. I guarantee right. you there are artists out there who are like, all I want to do is, is do you hear the people sing? And I can't because it would ruin my image. Bet you, bet you Lil Wayne know the name of a few of them. The New Orleans boys, they different, man. Mm -hmm. And dudes in New Orleans, man, mess around, shoot you, then go read a poem somewhere. Like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a different world where they at and how they go. But yeah, we mm -hmm. just out here acting like we was fighting, man. Like that, that was that was what we did the whole way. We got in the club and now we're like, we old enough now that we have to tell the kids about this, right? Because it's so funny because when we look back at what they was doing at the party 30 years before us, it was sock hopping, right? Like it was all this stuff that looked, like, that looked lame. We would look like outright savages to these youngsters. It's why we cannot judge them when they on the internet just dropping it like it's hot for no goddamn reason. We're not in a place to say nothing about them. Well, that cuts both ways, though, because you get guys like Jackie Wilson. who You go like, man, who was Jackie Wilson, Grandma? They're like, oh, Jackie Wilson, what a charming young man. He sang such beautiful songs as Lonely Teardrops. Look at him. You know, your love is lifting me higher. What a, what a kind man. What a charming, gentle gentleman. That dude was a killer, a boxer right a a ruffian all right and that was the guy <laughs> who would come on right and be like hold on i gotta beat your ass but first let me go sing and then he'd come on stage and you know hi you sing like this yeah and then he'd go and beat someone's ass the minute he got off stage that's it goes the other way too yeah there were the ones that gave it like james brown at every turn gave you the yo and it might go down you ever hear the stories about joe tex 
<laughs> yeah, you have regaled me. Like the James Brown Joe stories, Tech yeah. story is like, oh, these cats was out here pimping back Shock, in the day. Shotguns. And when I say these cats actual was out shotguns. here pimping, yeah, I mean pimping. Like, actually, was it was the Joe Tech song? You could have her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could Where have her. James Brown. James Brown. James Brown had got one of Joe Texas girls, and Joe Tex did a song called You Can Have Her, but it don't sound like it was Joe Tex's girlfriend. It sounded like it was Joe Tex's girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dispute settled with shotguns. Actual, like, shack fights. When you're fighting in a house, yes. that's one thing, okay? But when you're fighting in someone's shack, that's an entirely different deal. And that's, like, the level of animus we're talking here. And yet they would go on stage in the full suit. <laughs> Try me. Yes. <laughs> what a what a what a composed young entertainer he's got a knife in his pocket yo y'all saw them stories about stevie wonder where ray parker jr mm-hmm. told that story about stevie wonder fighting the drummer he got sick of the drummer shit stevie Wonder and beat him up mm-hmm. beat his ass to the point where other people watching the fight were like that's enough you gotta stop just let him have this he is beating your ass yeah don't try. That's it. You can always, to me, if you take someone's public image, just invert it. That's what they actually are, right? Like if I was pulling that same trick today and I was like, well, who's like the most reckless human being in the world? I'm like Michael Buble. Michael Buble has, is probably out there living an absolutely reckless lifestyle. And I don't even know it because his music is the exact opposite of that. Yes. Well, like with Stevie, man, we got to remember, there's a rule for y'all. Stevie from Michigan but it ain't Detroit. If it's a Michigan and it ain't Detroit and it's got some black people, leave them alone. Let it be. Let it be. And if you don't believe me, go look up them DeBarges. You know what I'm saying? Go look up them Mayweathers. Another case study in this, the DeBarge family. (laughs) The Rhythm of the Night sounds like such a positive, uplifting song. Obviously done by positive, uplifting people who live sane lives. My friend, (laughs) you are incorrect. You are deeply incorrect. I'm a man. I'm a man, baby. Yes, you are. You sure are, buddy. You. And and the thing about the DeBarges is I can't tell none of them apart by voice. I did not realize that the I'm a man, baby, was not El DeBarge. They all had the same. They all had the same exact vocal lane. It appeared to be. They all seemed to have like the same tragic story. And Barry Gordy thought he had found the Jacksons. Little did Mm -hmm. he know that he had found like some rascals. A, 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 a bunch of rascals. All this love is waiting for you, and so are these hands. You can catch them anytime you want. <laughs> that's the DeBarge family. You know, the butter, like, that's the thing. If you're going to give somebody the butteriest, smoothest voice of all time, guess what they're also going to get? The urge to hit someone in a club. It's just inescapable. Yes. The, the, I feel like the DeBarges came a little too early because there was a phrase that you could imagine the DeBarges saying in many different contexts, which is, say less. No matter what it is that she was throwing out there, they're like, yo, say less. That is my only important uh, piece of advice to anybody who's hyperactive and younger is to go, do less and say less. If you think about doing something, maybe wait one second and don't. And then maybe wait another second and don't. It would have saved the DeBarges a ton of trouble. Imagine who had to be the person to tell Joe Jackson that his little girl had just become a DeBarge. Oh, no, 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 no. I'd send the whole five over there. (laughs) Just for a lot of reasons, right? Just for a lot of reasons. Do you realize what you have to be to tell a man from Gary, Indiana, that his baby girl married into your family and him be like, the hell she did? There's nothing but bad news coming that way. Nothing. (laughs) Yeah, 
Yo, this is affirming my Michigan theory, by the way. Gary's own Jacksons were like, nah, 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 nah. We can't get involved in this. No, 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 no. Listen, Michigan, Michigan and Wisconsin both have this thing where if you're outside of the metropolitan area and you are otherwise unaffiliated with the city, I just assume certain things. They're the only places in the world where I've seen somebody go, I'm just going to go back behind the bar and tend it myself. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not a thing you could do, right? Like, that's a Lewis Black joke, but I've seen it in real life, right? That's somebody who's like, ah, you know what? I got to move this refrigerator. Just pull the truck up to the front door. You're like, dude, that's there's a rose bed, right? Just pull the truck. It doesn't matter. We're going to throw it through the door frame. It can't fit through the door frame. Get a hammer. I know someone who can carpent. We'll do it. Yeah, lunatics. Absolute lunatics who they're going to make it work. They're going to do their thing, but the rules, they're a little more flexible outside your major uh, urban centers than you might think. We'll be back with more of the right time in just a moment. Prize picks is the most fun you can have by winning up to 25 times your money. And with football season over, you can still win money with basketball and hockey. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. You can pick combo projections across multiple sports from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. And if you stick around for the end of the show, you'll get to hear some picks from our producer, Sean, that can either help you win or make you fail miserably. So make sure you go to prizepicks.com slash Bomani and use code Bomani for a first deposit matchup to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash Bomani. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. I recently went to Toronto to experience the city, eat good food, check out Niagara Falls. Now, as somebody who loves to travel and explore new places, Viator has been the perfect app for me. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like museum tours or restaurant experiences. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. With over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience at Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. All right, uh, welcome back to the right time. What happened? Oh, I was, listen, I was just going to opine on what I thought was the most underrated Little John song ever, which is Damn. Damn is to me, yeah, you talk about like, you, you talk about the sound of Atlanta to me, right? The sound of Atlanta to me, yes. like when it starts, right? I know, players balls before that. I know that there's some Rico back there. I know that like, you know, Bankhead Bounce, that's the start. Okay, that's fine, right? But the point where it really like takes hold for me is Damn. Because Damn is the song where, uh, first of all, the chorus, completely negative. There's absolutely nothing in that chorus, but we hate you. We hate you and you should leave, right? And second of all, everyone's accent in that song on 10. 
all of it, all of the accents, just all the way up to 10. That's alcohol. There is nothing better than, bitch, I'm for sure with it. Don't make me pop the <laughs> trunk to the lap, bitch. I will go get it. And I ain't selfish. I will let you and your folk feel it. Well, catch me <laughs> sipping on no Chris. I got a cold billy. That is my favorite run of things ever. That that to me is when, because before that, there's like dipping in your toes in, in, in like full Atlanta, right? There's a little bit like, oh, I don't know. Like yes. Usher was kind of like, I'm going to be pop first and then I'll remind everyone where I'm from. But only when Correct. they're not scared by it, right? Um, that's not that's not little john it's not young bloods that's no they're like no full full throttle this is this is 100 404 september 1998 i was at a club called the warehouse and the young bloods were performing and this is when shake them shake them off was the only song they had out yet right mm-hmm. and i just always remember it Shaw paul of aka shark crease eventually went up there and grabbed a mic because they was having a little trouble getting their show started and I just remember him saying, if you ain't with the attic crew, get off the stage. And if you don't get off the stage, we're going to get you off the stage. And we don't need no security, shouty. Stage cleared up. Stage cleared up. A performance ensued not long after. Yeah. Again, I'm just going to go ahead and give them their flowers only 25 years too late. But there you go. Take it. They're, they're, they were magnificent. Well played. Well played. Well played. I'm going to try to do something halfway footballish. Um, I feel like you and I have talked about this. We may have even talked about it on this podcast before, but I still think that we don't go back and talk about this enough, which is this Patrick Mahomes thing. How do we not see this coming sooner? Right? Like he sat for one year and was the best other than maybe Dan Marino, like first year starting quarterback that we had ever seen off the rip. None of us thought this was going to be the thing, right? None of us thought that this is direction that it was going to go in. I mean, Mitch Trubisky went before him for goodness sake. Did we miss something? Is this Cliff's fault? What in the world? Part of it is context. You lost him at Texas Tech, where I think people had a hard time seeing that he was marginally more impressive uh, and visually more impressive than any of those system quarterbacks that they had. Um, He was making plays. I've gone back and watched all of his starts from his first year at Texas Tech. Um, I did that for an article last year. And when he was in his first year at Texas Tech, he is still making the kind of plays where he's opening up space downfield, not just with his eyes, but with subtle movements in the pocket. And then once he gets out of the pocket, obviously in college, there's just guys wide open, like the lane's completely there. He's making improvisational throws. He's changing his launch angle. It's all there from the start. And I just think there is something in him that got confused for the system there because everyone at Texas Tech will throw for 3,000, 4,000 yards with ease. The way that he did it was was in a very Mahomesian way where, yes, he was on script a lot of the time, but also a lot of the time he's making his own plays. You know, I feel like people took the wrong lesson from that Oklahoma-Texas Tech game where he had 700 yards passing and what, seven or eight TDs by himself. He had, you know, 800 or 700 yards of, of offense from scrimmage by himself. And they were paying attention to Baker Mayfield. And in fact, like the guy who was the system QB in that case, more than anybody was Baker. And also I will say this, I think, and I've talked about this with a number of people in draft prep when it comes to Caleb Williams. I don't think Lincoln Riley is doing his quarterbacks a lot of favors in preparing them at all for the NFL. That's not his job, but it's something that other quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators at least do a little bit of along the way to making them successful college quarterbacks. I don't think Lincoln Riley has been doing as much of that. And I think that Cliff, for all of the, um, for all of the shit that we give him 
as somebody who is a college coach and does not care about defense. I think he did a slightly better job of taking not the finished product that was Mahomes, but the very, very good product and making it slightly to at least a, a bit better than he was just coming out of high school and preparing for the draft. So like, I think he did an okay job there. Let's, let's, let's award him like, you know, moderate credit for that. But that dude is that dude. Like you have called him Jordan. And I think that is more than fair because regardless of whatever his longevity is going to be for this period, he's as dominant as anyone has ever been in the history of the sport. We just missed him because of where he was and because the product was, yes, slightly unconventional. I am enjoying people come around this Jordan thing, by the way. Like, I don't know why it seems so crazy to him when I said it in the first place. I thought I made a very reasonable take for what this is. But now people are looking at this and just be like, oh, no, 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 my bad. This looks a lot like Jordan. Mm -hmm. It looks a lot like Jordan because he does things and then evolve that no one else can do and then evolves. If you've seen his, um, I had a very entertaining 49ers fan in my mentions talk about how well his yards per completions come down. Yeah, that's because they know he could throw the ball over the moon. You got professionals out there <laughs> who are going to pick him up and pick his receivers up and make sure they don't just run a, a completely unbothered go route, right? These are good people. They are professionals. They can defend that. What they can't defend is all the space that you open up underneath by simply being too good at your job to counter. And that's the thing that he's managed to do. When they pull back in a cover two shell, Mahomes struggle for what, three, four games? Three, four games until he goes, oh, no, 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 I got that. I got it. We're just going to run mesh and shell. Mesh, shell, audible. We're going to run into it. I'll I'll check to that audible. That's the other thing. He has made guys so much better simply by making good decisions on the field and, yes, doing some of that boring game manager stuff that nobody else does. Nobody else does it that well. So if you want your best game manager, that's Patrick Mahomes. If you want your best scrambler and your most selective scrambler, it's Patrick Mahomes, even though he does look, um, I believe it was Dominique Foxworth who shared this with me. He looks like a child running in a shoe store, trying out new shoes every time he takes off, which I think is the appropriate description. Um, he's the most selective and efficient scrambler in the league. If you want that, not the most spectacular, but the most selective and efficient. He's the best underneath thrower. He's the best improv guy. Um, he wins at all the categories. You remember when Jordan was putting up defensive player of the year? kind of performances in addition to getting the scoring title and the MVP. That's what you're looking at here. The older Mahomes is going to be really intriguing to me because he'll lose a step. He won't be able to scramble quite like he used to, but I still think he's going to become an even more efficient and productive passer because, and this is the thing he does better than anything else right now, anything else, he steals five. He steals five. He's so good at putting you in second five. Ain't pretty. Might have been disappointing. A lot of times they'll load up for that big. Uh, you saw this on the last drive. Loaded up for a huge play action. You're like, oh, here it comes. Here comes the bomb. Pulled it down. Checked it for like three. I think to Pacheco. Checked it for three. And that was fine. We're in second and seven. Guess what you still have to worry about? Everything. As a defense, you still have to worry about. Um, and I think the next play after that, by the way, they go to um, the defense. Gets impatient because they can't stop him from nibbling at him. So they blitz him. And that's when Romo goes, oh, they shouldn't have done that. I want you to think about how good he is that he made the commentator, a professional quarterback of renown of his own right, look at San Francisco blitzing, calling a really good cover zero blitz, and hearing Romo go, oh no, they shouldn't have done that. Have you ever heard of a football <laughs> player in an 11 on 11 situation where the announcer basically treated them like, oh, they stuck their hand in the lion cage? Too bad. Too bad. <laughs> Dude, I was in, when I was in Vegas... I sat for um, an interview when I was prostituting myself on Radio Row. 
I sat down with, uh, like I said, telling people about this, man. Every time I sat down for an interview on Radio Row, they're like, what you doing? I was out here, prostitute myself, just walk around, hoping to get shows. Like, hey, daddy, you got 10 minutes. You can watch if you want, right? Like, that's basically what I was doing. And so I sat down with the, with the Raiders guys, and I was like, I forget what came up, but they brought up Mahomes, and I just, it really hadn't dawned on me what it's got to be like if you root for one of them other teams in that division, and you know you got to see that twice. Yeah. Twice every year, nightmares. Your job sucks. Your job sucks. You 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 got two losses right there, and at the very least, even if you win, that's not going to be the kind of win that makes you feel good. You're going to be like, oh man, I dodged the blade. That's it. And, and what counter are you going to make? You're going to blitz him. He's awesome against the blitz. You're going to fall back in coverage. He'll pick you apart with nobody. With as you said, the featherstones of the world, with dudes who have hands like dinner plates. All right. Like with guys who are out oh, there, to, like mm -hmm, like four paws playing like they have hooves for hands, and that <laughs> still worked. You you threw you threw this the, the Super Bowl winning touchdown to a guy you'd already gotten rid of and had to pull off the Jets, <laughs> and you still found a way to get him open against a really good defense in the most important situation in football. And you won by, by throwing way, a guy it to who him. also didn't know if the game was over. No, didn't know. You know who knew it was over? Pat. That's it. This is proof that you could just delegate everything to Pat. That's fine. I'm convinced, like, if you were going to go, okay, who will call plays in the huddle? Like, who could you just, like, how many quarterbacks in the league do you think if we rolled up and we did the full Kenny Stabler thing where you line up at the line of scrimmage and go, I need this formation, this personnel, and let's go? How many guys do you think could actually do that in the league? He's won. I know like I would feel totally comfortable, especially because he's already done that. He goes back um, in the Super Bowl win, the prior Super Bowl win against the 49ers, I believe, when they call a wasp, which is that little go, the little sort of uh, in cut and go uh, to Tyreek Hill. He's the one who called. He went back to the huddle the play before. He goes back to the sideline. Andy Reid goes, wasp, wasp, you want to call a wasp? Let's go. He called it. I feel totally comfortable doing that. I do not know what you do with him other than hope time and injury hope up to him if you're an opponent. Catch up to him. Everything that you try to find a way to check a box, like we haven't found the weakness. We've been looking for this weakness. We've tried to figure out what it is. He's the rare guy who isn't as good in play action as he is out of play action, but only because he's just so damn good when it comes down to running play action. We've looked for every single thing you could possibly have. They threw him out there without nobody to throw to and just a really good defense. Okay, cool. He went ahead. He figured out how you make that happen. What, like, if you are the guys whose job it is to go cook something up every year, like, okay, we're going to figure out what the thing is that we're going to do with Pat this year. What you got, man? What you got? What, what you got that hasn't already been tried? What do you have? You need a monster. You're facing a monster. You need a monster. That's it. You need to do something basic and football type that's so dumb and so powerful that he can't counter it. You need to have two Aaron Donalds on the line or a player that is the combination thereof. You need to have a line, you know, you need an LT. You need somebody who'd have to force them to change their entire offense, right? That was exactly what I was about to say is that, like, is, is, is Mahomes the LT figure in the sense that everybody's running all too high everything, at this point, which seemed to have a whole lot to do with the fact of what else you're going to do against this guy, right? So everywhere you look, they're running too high. And like you said, it took him three weeks to figure out what to do with that. And then boom, it went from there. But that to me feels like he has made, an, and, I, and I could be wrong, but that's an LT seismic shift in the way that defense is played just to deal with one man. Because we made it for you. 
we just made it for you. <laughs> that's it. Everyone else, we practice you know, it in like, these other games to get ready for you. That's what we do. It's you've basically made a threat that we have to construct entire systems around to counter. Now, there's other simpler things, by the way, that could undermine him besides just injury and like a decline in skills over time. Um, because I, uh, I know he's real good. Nobody can overcome not having an offensive line. That is the one thing that no quarterback in the world, not even uh, scramblers of note like Lamar Jackson or Mike Bick or even Josh Allen, none of the three of those can overcome not having an offensive line. So if the Chiefs suffered one of those years where they're just pulling guys off the street because their injury, uh, their injury injured reserve is like so crowded and they've had such bad luck then yeah then you're gonna have a down year you know is is him winning a super bowl next year guaranteed no this is a big stupid game um i know that people are tr struggling to figure out what happened in a super bowl that goes 1919 to overtime let me tell you what football happened because you can get a lot of real smart people who have brilliant ideas and cool plays you can have kyle big brain shanahan versus andy the genius reed and guess what can happen sometimes sometimes people fumble and they throw picks and the ball bounces a weird way or you miss an extra point we wouldn't be having any of the sort of forced discussions as to whether kyle shanahan did something right if they had just kicked an extra point you know it's that type of dumb like the game could get dumb real fast because it's a bunch of dudes slamming into each other at high speed chasing a ball and that ball isn't even round you can't even predict the way it's going to bounce. So that's what happened in this. And then the genius took over. It took until OT to really let the maestro sing. But ultimately, it will happen, and it did happen. Yo, you talk about Kyle and that big brain of his and his explanation about why he played it like he did, being that we wanted to have the ball third. Third, that's some real big brain stuff, right? Like, it's just I have, I have held off on everything about that because it's just like, all right, whatever. But that... That was a really big brain explanation that he had there. To me, where he messed up and where I feel like Dan Campbell would have handled that in a different way, even if he had taken the ball first, they should have gone for it on fourth down when they were down there. They needed to operate on the presumption that Mahomes is going to walk this all the way down. Like that, that would have been, to me, that was the move where they messed up. They needed to get, if you decided you were going to go first, you needed to go get a touchdown, period. Uh-huh, because you get, if you go second, you're doing it so that you get as much information as possible so that you know what you do on the potential game-winning one, which they had already answered and the Chiefs were ready for. Uh, the 49ers reportedly did not have a plan for that and did not go for it on fourth down, which to me is kind of betraying the one thing you think you have as an organization, by the way, which is Big Brain Kyle. You got Big Brain Kyle and a bunch of good skilled players. Let them go get it. Absolutely. Let him go get it. Because on the other side, you have to plan for your worst case scenario. And if you're looking at, okay, what's my worst case scenario? It's a touchdown and a two point conversion, you know? So, you know, I, you have to anticipate that coming up on the other side in every way. So you have to go for that fourth down. But even then, like when you go back to like when you want the ball, and this is a, a hard thing to go ahead and sort of sell as like a take meister. It's not a take. It's not volatile. But like Bill Barnwell, as usual, is right you're pretty much okay with either way because the difference this is how you know it's a really good rule um it's marginal like the the rule itself does not necessarily affect how you're going to play the entire second half it doesn't alter what you're thinking strategically a whole lot that's a good rule that's doing things right you don't want a rule where you go oh well we've made it so that you know you have to do this one thing no they made a rule where you can play it a lot of different ways and where there's advantages and disadvantages that very nearly even each other out.
for those who are more quantifiable types, uh, the nerds, you're going to get more data on that. But like at the outset, looking at it theoretically, it could go either way. I'm not mad at Shanahan for that. I'm way more mad at the fourth down conversion because you know what's on the other side. I know analytics. Analytics help you decide a lot of things. You know what they don't do? They don't take the measure of that other dude on the sideline. And in a situation like that, you have to consider there's the ghost of Patrick Mahomes just looming right there, and he's going to score. Well, I think the analytics thing that you pointed to that is a big point that I think often gets lost is it's kind of like when you put in the GPS and it gives you four different routes and you realize, oh, the difference in these is like 90 seconds, right? Like it's not necessarily that big a difference just because there is a difference. And that's where I think people get it wrong. Yeah. Also, it doesn't take in charge. It doesn't take into account who's driving. It doesn't take into account how I'm going to feel about that, whether I want to take the freeway or not, right? Whether the person behind me on this particular road or ahead of me is especially dangerous. That's one way to look at it. You know, if Kyle got the GPS on this one and he looked at the routes, he didn't consider what was in his rear view. And that was a semi truck, Patrick Mahomes, with no brakes, none. You just needed seven, homie. Like, I understand everything you had going. My thing, and I think I've talked to you about this on all overtime rules, is pretty simple. It's all tiebreaker, baby. You should have won it in, in regulation. There's nothing you can tell me about an overtime rule that's really going to make me care. If you could tell me it's a coin flip to decide who wins the whole damn game, I might be okay with that too. You had your chance. If you own a house, you need a good plumber. And um, even if the plumber's weird, even if they're late, even if they sometimes don't return your calls immediately, um, they're going to save you when you have a serious problem with uh, some shit, like literally and figuratively. That's a kicker. Kyle? You have a great kicker, and you need to make sure your special teams are buttoned up because you know what the difference between one really good NFL team and another one is? One point. One point. And you had that in the bag. You had that in the bag, and you missed it. Respect your kickers. Respect the plumbers of the NFL world, okay? Because they ain't pretty. Sometimes they're erratic. But you need them, or you will die. That's a pretty good way to put it. That's my sermon. That's, that's, listen, just, we don't respect special teams enough. Because you know what? Sometimes it's cool, and we watch these like great defensive struggles. We watch an offensive game where I'm like, cool, we got 38-35, and everyone's firing on all cylinders, and this is awesome. And then sometimes I got to watch people punt. That's it. Sometimes I got to watch people punt. And I have to learn. I have learned to appreciate that deeply. This is, by the way, this was a game where the kickers balled the hell out. Both kickers hitting 50 yarders with ease. Do you, I mean, that is something that we need to, the, we're in a golden era. Of Yo, kicking. nobody talks about this. A 50-yard field goal used to be an occasion. Yeah. No, you used to get the family around the TV for that. Be like, oh, look at this. Something's going to happen. Now it's like, <laughs> I don't know, Justin Tucker hits those every Wednesday in practice with ease. He hits those every weekend. It's nothing. Nothing. Now it's like 60-yarder. Yeah, we have we have experienced a boot boom in the NFL and in college. Like even in college, by the way, like, like oh, college kickers. That's a cliche people do where they go ahead and talk about how erratic college kickers are. Kickers line up in college now and they go from 50 with no fear. And it's not even weird. It's not even something that like defensive perverts in the SEC do rather than go for fourth and inches, you know? No, you can go for that 50. You might hit. One last thing before we get out of here because I forgot this is something we could talk about because it's the first time we convened since this happened. We've been telling people for a very long time to get ready to find out what Alabama really about as a college football program. And now that time is here. And this Kalen DeBoer, who I got to be honest, sound real South African to me. But anyway, they tell me that he's not. 
and uh, he has won everywhere that he has been. And if he wins at the rate that he has won at every other place that he has been, they're going to string his ass up. I want to thank you for being one of the six people I know who whenever they hear Kalen DeBoer's name, they just hear diplomatic immunity. That's <laughs> what I hear every time from Lethal Weapon 2. It's just in my brain. Yes. No, they so they lost an offensive coordinator to the uh, Seattle Seahawks. They lost uh, Frank Grubb, who was DeBoer's coordinator at uh, at Washington prior to his hiring at Alabama. They lost him. Uh, by the way, on the day the transfer portal closed, that's a neat trick. That's a neat trick. If portal closes, and all of a sudden, everyone's locked in. And the coordinator's like, peace. Got a new kick. Hope you enjoy the new guy. Bye. Um, thus far, what's happened to Alabama is that I think everything that happens when you have a transition, you have people who are going to transfer because uh, they get better deals elsewhere. This is how markets work. Hi, everyone who's like, oh, it's so difficult for coaches these days. No, it's it's harder. It's more complex. That's why they hire GMs. That's why they're hiring all of this different management to, ma to manage rosters because ultimately that's what you're going to get is an entirely new administrative uh, superstructure. If you think it's been fun watching coaches fight with presidents and athletic directors, just wait until we get our first general manager coach feud at the college level because that's going to happen. Wait for it. We're going to get a Bill Parcells who wants to control the groceries and the X's and O's. And guess what, folks? Because it's college, they're not going to be good at it. They're not going to be good at it at all. You're going to find someone who is. But I guarantee you there's going to be two or three that get into some sort of massive feud with the suddenly powerful general manager and talent uh, evaluator who is also in charge of the program and doesn't like what the coach is doing. You're going to get that. You're going to see people hire that person over the coach, right? So I think what coaches are saying is suddenly my value has been compromised by my inability to do everything or make you think I did everything because that was never the case whatsoever. As for Kalen DeBoer at Alabama, how's he going to do? I don't know. He's a real good coach. He's also in charge at Alabama where even a moron can win 10 games. I say that because I've seen it happen. So, yeah, you're not going to be as good. But I guarantee you that dude's going to pull off one 10-win season. 10 wins isn't enough for you anymore. It might take a couple of years, but uh, we're, we're going to see it. We're going to see if they keep those boosters in line. I think that's what, what you and I are both waiting for. Is we're waiting to see, can you keep all those rich folks who like to write checks in line? Because they tend to get a bit bumptious yep. when they don't win. Look, we talk about him getting a 10-win season. There will be a 10-win season. They ain't been happy with 10 wins around that bad boy in a real long time. In fact, it hasn't even really been tested. They haven't had a chance to really see how they feel about 10-win seasons. It hadn't really come up. Hasn't happened since uh, the, the first like it hasn't happened since the second Bush administration, the W second W administration. That's how long it's been. It's been, I believe 2007 was the last time that happened. Saban's first year. 2010, they went 10 and three, they lost three games in a regular season. I feel like they mm -hmm. won 10 games that year. They did. It was a crisis though. They lost three games and it was a crisis. It was a crisis. It was a crisis, but the things they did to Kirk Cousins and Michigan State in the Capital One Bowl, uh, mm -hmm. and that was the most, like, Nick was like, look, we ain't losing this one, just so you guys know. We're not going <laughs> to. He's we're, not walking we're out of here. That dude's not walking out of here. Of. They tried to kill a man. That's really what they tried to do that day. They tried to kill Kirk Cousins and very nearly succeeded. Um, and they haven't won less than 10 games in uh, a generation, a generation plus. Like, there's just people who have never seen that happen. So if it does happen, 
We're all going to do a little bit of learning together. That's what we're doing. That's the way I'm going to put it. It's going to be a learning experience for all of us watching to see how yeah. cool you're going to be with this. With a lot of Alabama fans, when they talk about this to their friends outside of Alabama, which quite honestly is not that many people, but when they do it, having to stop you with a lot, no, 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 that's what I'm at. Let me, let me explain. Let me explain. No, no, no. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. Mm-hmm. Let me finish. Because when they're complaining about this 11 and 2, it's going to sound really ridiculous, right? But let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. Mm-hmm. It won't matter. It won't matter because they don't have a gauge on reality. They don't have a gauge on what it's going to be like. And this comes at a time when if you're going to slip, you could go, you could slip a long way. Right, even if you're Alabama, because the calculus for how to put together a roster and attract talent has changed dramatically. Even for Alabama, it was changing for Nick Saban before he retired. NIL matters more than ever, and some schools are handling it much better than others. If you want to see an example of a program that decided to absolutely commit to the notion, let me introduce you to Ohio State University, a top tier school that has decided we are never losing again, ever. We're not losing. We'll go take your head coach and make him our coordinator. Oh, surely you mean from a different like division uh, or a different conference? No, they just took they just took UCLA's head coach, who went happily. He was he was looking anyway, and they said, "Hey, do you want to be an OC instead of being an HC in the same conference?" And he said, "That sounds awesome. That's the new reality." Yo, he he and they. How could all of them want to be so done with each other, but not have actually been done? Oh, they were done. I want you to know something. Everybody take notes. Everybody take notes. Do you want to know how to quit? Quit like Chip Kelly did. Do that, okay? Everyone listen to this, okay? Do you know what he did for like the past month or two? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He interviewed for jobs. He talked to everybody. He was probably texting buddies, probably watching cool tape, right? He's like watching Patrick Mahomes going, oh, that's neat. We should probably do that. That's a cool one. Who are you going to do it for? UCLA? No. Like just out there, if you go and look at their recruiting rankings right now, which is usually an indicator is how busy the head coach of that staff has been. Um, Indiana is the only team below them in the Big Ten right now oh. for that 2025 class. That's it. It goes Indiana, who also had a co- who also at least sort of had the excuse of coach turnover, by the way. Right. They got a new coach. They went and got JMU's head. So they have at least some excuse for, OK, we're on the catch up. No one changed jobs at UCLA. <laughs> No, no, but prior to this, no one, the staff in place has one commit, one in that class. Whereas, you know, like the upper tiers, they've got like 11 commits, nine commits, you know, they've at least worked one, by the way, Indiana is behind them and they have two commits. I don't know mathematically how that's possible. Someone's bringing negative value to the table, but yeah, two commits and they're behind them. And that ladies and gentlemen is Spencer Hall. Check him out on channel six check them out on big dumb football available wherever you get fine youtube videos like this one my man i greatly appreciate you yeah thank you always a pleasure all right now sean you got prize picks for the peoples i sure do Bo. sticking with the nba i'll take alex caruso three and a half rebounds i'll take more there trey young 29 and a half points let's go with more Dejounte murray 12 rebounds and assists i'll go more there and to the youtube commenter that says sean has never taken a less uh, pick at all why would i root for less when i can root for more Bo? i had noticed that you don't do a lot of under sean i had i had peeped that you are you are you are always optimistic it's a good way to live life i think well played well played but ladies and gentlemen thanks so much for joining us here on the right time we do this three times a week sean you handles everything behind the scenes thank you sir remember subscribe like 
Follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater, and we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy.